Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Taste. Very happy to have you here with us. This is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards. My guest today is someone who's had big success in two very different areas, movies and wine. Robert Mark Kamen is a screenwriter with a string of very successful movies from the 80s up to today, with films like The Karate Kid, Gladiator, Taken, and many more. He's also been in the wine business since the 80s. Cayman Estate Wines produces some of the best wines coming out of Sonoma. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Doug Schaefer back with another episode of The Taste, and today we've got uh, a special guest, Robert Mark Kamen, who's written a bunch of great movies like Taps, the original Karate Kid films, Fifth Element, and Lethal, Lethal Weapon 3, Transporter films, A Walk in the Clouds, The Taken films, and on and on and on. In the middle of that, he's become one of Sonoma's top winemakers with his place, Cayman Estate Wine. So welcome, Robert. Hello, Doug. I've been looking forward to talking to you. You're making movies, you're making wine. I mean, how cool, how cool is your life? My life is very cool. Well done. Let me ask my wife. How cool is my life, Bonnie? Pretty cool, she said. <laughs> <laughs> my life is my life. It's, uh, I've been doing movies and uh, the vineyard for 40 years. Wow. I bought the raw land that became my vineyard with my first screenwriting check and haven't looked back since, except on the canceled checks that uh, seem to go into this endless <laughs> piece of ground that I became obsessed with. <laughs> And you and I, I think we've chatted before, but we have a connection uh, through my son. Um, yes, we do. Which is pretty cool. Tell me about that. How'd that happen? He works for my friend, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, who I know for probably 35 years. Uh, when Lorenzo was working at Warner's, I did a number of uh, screenplays with Lorenzo. And I find, lo and behold, Stephen Schaefer is, is working for Lorenzo. And I have tried to use that leverage to pry relentless Syrah out of his hands, and he tells me you only give him a bottle or two. <laughs> yeah, I make all my kids pay for the wine. Except, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, except for Christmas, <laughs> they get a little extra at Christmas. But uh, no, yeah, I know well, I've tried really hard. We'll uh, we'll talk after this. I'll take care of you. I can set you up. Great, uh, good. So, uh, talk to me. Where your story? Where were you born? What? Well, I was born in a city housing project in the Bronx, um, and. Uh, went to high school in New York and uh, went to university at NYU up in the Bronx and went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania for graduate school where I did a PhD, spent a bunch of time in Afghanistan, came home while I was doing my dissertation. I wrote a novel about Afghanistan. A cousin of mine knew a director who said I should turn the novel into a screenplay, which I did. And lo and behold, six weeks later, Warner Brothers bought it. Holy cow. So I, I need to roll it back. So growing up in, in the, in the yeah. Bronx, um, mom and dad, what were they into? Orthodox Judaism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my father was a CPA and my mom was um, a medical secretary. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, I grew up in a fairly religious house, but it was not, it was not confining at all because we, I lived in a city housing project and I spent most of my time in the streets with a bunch of ruffians. Okay. So I had a great balance of structure and chaos. It was wonderful. <laughs> now it was wine in the house or alcohol. Beer, no, wine, yeah, there was Manischewitz in the house, Doug. 
You I, ever drink Manischewitz? I, I have. I have in Chicago. That's what my dad used to drink. Yeah, well, great. <laughs> it's a, it's enough to make you not want to drink wine again. Right. <laughs> gets you into beer. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. And you were in um, Afghanistan. And what? T- tell me again why you were there. Uh, graduate school. Okay. I got a grant to spend a year with a bunch of nomads. Okay. And which I did in 1971, 72. And so you're how old? You're like early 20s? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. 23. I was 23 years old. Okay. Uh, and I got on a camel in, um, not again, I can't. I got on a camel in June and I got off the camel <laughs> in um, April or May. Uh, and I just followed the, the migratory routes of these Kuchipatan nomads for 11 months. Um, God, that must have been wild. And it was wild. And uh, two years later, I went back and I spent six months in Waziristan. And during the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, I ran a refugee relief program. So I got to go there even more. Um, and it, uh, Afghanistan has played a large part in my life. Fascinating. And so were you writing at this time too? In 85, I was, when I was doing the refugee relief stuff, I was writing screenplays. I started, uh, I got my first movie made in 1979 with Tabs. Okay. So I was deep into uh, screenwriting at that point. In 71, 72, I was just writing academic stuff. Got it. You know, papers and working on my dissertation for my PhD. Okay. And then, so the wine thing kicked in when you came back, you came back to New York. Seven, probably 74, 70, about 73, 74 I went into this wine shop and I said, I was curious and I said, I'd like to learn about wine. Right. And the guy gave me for a thousand dollars for the entire year, kept giving me a case at a time of, um, first and second growth Bordeaux. Uh, I was getting the tours for 12 bucks (laughs) and, um, you you gotta be kidding me. Oh, Oh, no, no. I, my big kick is that I didn't buy more, a ton of these things because I didn't know. Yeah. But I was drinking 66 Latours and 64 Oprions and all this crazy stuff. And I drink wine and I'd go back to the guy and he'd say, well, what did you taste? And I'd say, well, it was a little sour and it was a little bitter. And he would say, no, that's this, this is this. And after a year, he taught me about, he taught me about wine and I knew about wine. And, and then I just sort of took it from there. But look and how, then but as look, my friends started making money, I was the wine guy. But look how you started. You started drinking first gross. Yeah. <laughs> I start, yeah. I start yeah, on, I start on, first I start on Boone's farm up on a beach in Michigan. Right. Jeez. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, yeah. Boone's farm apple wine. Remember that? Ouch. That's, yeah. And if I, <laughs> yeah, if, I do. Mer- I remember it from 1971. <laughs> it was horrible. Boone's farm. If I want to impress right. somebody, I got a bottle of, of Matus. Remember Matus? And Matus. That, yeah. Or, or one of those, uh, the woven baskets of Chianti for right, two bucks. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was your, well, that, was so wine. that guy was your educator and that, uh, yeah, and, Sam, he was great. He was great. What was the name of his place? Was it called Sam's or was it another It was place? called the Surrey and okay. it's no longer there. It's probably now a cashmere shop or something. Got it. You know, Got it was it. on Madison Avenue and 69th street. And he was, he was great because he learned wine by going to Bordeaux during world war two. And, and he, he drank with these guys, you know, these guys were, they were poor. The, the war had devastated them. Right. And, and he, and so they would, you know, anything in their cellar, he could drink and for the right amount of chocolate, sugar, uh, or tobacco. He traded and he his, did. And he learned all about it, man. 
That's fascinating. So, so your education, your early one education was mostly European, not, not California or, or the States. I didn't know from California wine. I mean, yeah. uh, um, I didn't know from it for the longest time. And, you know, the idea that, that I would end up here doing this is only because I came here to celebrate my first screenplay. And I was taken to a piece of land that overlooks the San Francisco Bay. And I, I bought it for the view. I didn't buy it to go into the wine business. Wow. But I faced the Monterosa Vineyard, right? Which is beautiful. I face it. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. Oh. And I figured, oh, yeah, oh, there's wine growing there. And I, and I had had the Louis Martini cabs from that vineyard from the 50s. Right. And I said, if Louis can do it, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Louis took... You know, the 70s, we moved out here in 73, and Dad started making wine in 78. And even in the early 80s, right. when we tried to sell wine in New York, it was really tough because the yeah. whole, the whole this whole country, especially the East Coast, was very European-centric on wines. I mean, California wines were and just coming is. on. And still is. Yeah, good yeah. point. And good still point. is. Yeah. But I remember uh, yeah. Dad, I, Dad wanted to plant a hillside vineyard. No one was doing it. And he was friends right. with Louis, Louis Martini. And Louis said, come on, I'll take you over to Monterosa and show you how to, how to do it. So they jumped in a truck and drove over and did it. And that, it's kind of, I love right. this. That's great. So, so the corollary story is when I bought the place, I met Phil Katuri, who at the time was just hippie scum. Um, <laughs> he has since turned into the most valued organic wine, wine viticulturalist in Northern California. And Phil learned how to, do grapevines from a guy named Joe Miami who helped Louis Martini plant the Monterosa vineyard. And oh, I our didn't first know that. cuttings. Oh yeah. Joe Miami. Now there's a name for it. There's a name. Joe Miami. You got to be, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm know, thinking that's got to work its way into a screenplay somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's a great name. And, and so when we started the first cuttings, we have the, the my first um, clones came from the Cabernet over on Monterosa. So we still have, I have uh, probably 12 acres left of original Monterosa clones that went from there. I'm looking at the Monterosa vineyard as we're talking. Wow. I, it went from there over to here. And I've had that for 38 years now. Wow. Those clones. So Phil helped you plant the place. I, was there a house on it or anything, any development? It was just no. bare land. Doug, there was, it was raw land, 1,500 feet up, no road, no water, no electricity. Got it. And you're living, you're living in New York or LA at that time? At the time, actually at the time I was living between New York and Crested Butte, Colorado. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I had a place in Crested Butte, Colorado. And, um, and then when the screenplays kicked in, I started this insane commute between New York, LA New York, LA, uh, Sonoma. And as time, time went on, um, I was all, all over the world writing screenplays, right. going to every place. I was every place. And, you know, and, um, I spent a bunch of time in Paris, um, because I was partnered up with a great French film director, Luc Besson, and we were writing all these movies together. And because of that, I started spending a lot of time in Chateauneuf de Pop and got to be good friends with people there. And um, I was friends with Jean-Louis Chauve's then-girlfriend, now-wife, Erin, mm -hmm. and I started spending weekends in Hermitage. Oh. And that's when I got turned on to Syrah, and that's when I planted Syrah. Um, 
Wow. Um, so you... it's a good thing I, I didn't spend, well, yes. And because I'm impulsive, um, <laughs> I spent some time in Tuscany and I came home and said, I want to play in Sangiovese. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that one. I've heard that one before. My, my old man pulled that yeah, one exactly. back in 81. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sangiovese salesproof wine. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just, so when, pardon me for, you know, not being more tuned in with, especially with my son in the business, I should know this, but as a screenwriter, like when they're, when they're shooting a film on location, do you have to be there? Are you on site? No, uh, unless they specifically want me to be there, I try not to be there because what am I doing? Uh, if they need me, of course I'm there, but most of the time I try to stay away. My work is done. Right. If they need additional lines, they can call me up. If they need structural work, that means I didn't do my job and I have to be there. But I try to stay away. I try to stay here in Sonoma on the vineyard. I try to leave as little as possible. <laughs> and now with Zooming, honestly, because I'm doing all my, all my business, all my work, all my, my meetings, even when I'm pitching scripts, I'm doing it all on zoom. Yeah. And, uh, I don't have, I don't like leaving. We don't leave the property for days at a time. I mean, it's terrible, but it's, when you come over, you'll see why. It's no, gorgeous. no. It's it's, I know the area. It's gorgeous. I, I don't blame you at all. Yeah. So you're busy, busy, busy. Cause you bought the, the land in 79 and you're, you're still cranking right. out working, you know, your day job. So right. did you start, plant, job, did, exactly. you and Phil, did you and Phil start planting it right away? Did you wait a few years? You just, right away. Right away. Well, it took, it took a year. It took a year to get the, uh, first of all, I, I bought 300 acres of land and I didn't know it, but it, it, it had a provisional easement. It didn't have a permanent easement. Okay. And it took me a, a while to get a permanent easement. Then we had to build, um, almost two miles of road from the, the end of the county road. We're at the end of the end of this road. And then, then we had to build a road up here. Then after we built the road, then we brought in a drilling rig and we drilled uh, a, way, a well. And then PG&E came in and put in two miles of poles. I'm the last electric pole before Napa in Sonoma. Oh. That's my claim to fame. Right. Man, um, this takes forever. It took years. It's oh, it's fucking yeah. forever. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I just kept at it because... I, I, I wouldn't have, Doug, I don't know if what I would have done without the screenwriting because the screenwriting provided all this dough yeah. and all the money I got, I, I just kept putting into this place okay. and putting into this place. I'm with you. We, you're dumping this. So thought what, of making wine. Was there a, was there a vision? I mean, you're dumping a ton of money no. in this thing. What, what was the, what was the end game? What was the goal? Was there a dream? There was no goal. I love that. I, I, I suffer from. I suffer from impulse control disorder. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's it. You know, you know, I, I love it. You know, you got to write a movie where there's not some, you know, you know, there's always a dream. There's always a goal. What if there's just, there is no dream. There's no goal. We're just, we're just going, we're just going after it every day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and that was honestly, that was truly true until, uh, we had a fire up here in 1996. I was going to ask you about out. that because, yeah. It burned out the Tavedale fire. You're right. But before the fire, you made a, you wrote a movie. What was it? Walk, walk in the clouds, right? Walk in the clouds. And, That's right. And right. to those of us who know that movie, a, a vineyard burns in it, right? I burned the vineyard down because I needed, I needed a third act. I needed something big to happen. So, and I'm sitting up here writing it <laughs> and I said, I know I'll burn the vineyard down. So I burned the vineyard down. Now we what? shot it 
in Dan Duckhorn had a Merlot Vineyard, which is now Paradox. Right, it's right. It's, it's, it's a half mile from me, right here. It's right next door. Right, yeah. and we paid him a bunch of dough. He had phylloxera. It was full of phylloxera. Right. He was going to pull it out. We put gas lines in. We torched the vines, and we pulled it out for him. <laughs> right? Yeah. And people, I go over to Napa, and people are saying, well, you know, vineyards don't burn. Well, I'm farming at 16, for 16 years at that point. I know vineyards don't burn. But right. when my vineyard caught fire, what burned were the irrigation hoses because the fire was so fast and so hot, it melted the irrigation hosing across the cadmium layer of the vines. And it was August 1st. We were in full verasion, of course. We were ripening. And as we're ripening, the vines are dying. Oh, man. So same, at the same time. Got it. So right. what happened was, because you, you know, we, we've all said and, and, to a certain extent, vineyards don't burn. However, you had this wildfire and right. the, the, right. the vines didn't catch fire, but the, the black rubber drip hose to our listeners right. is, is hung right along the trunks of the vines. And so if the, that, that's on fire, that hot rubber was right next to the trunk of the vine and burned the trunk, which is the cambium layer, which is where all the nutrients come up right. the thing. And basically, so it was a slow death to the vines. Yeah. Right. As oh. they were dying, oh. the fruit was ripening. Oh. It was really sad. Heartbreaker. And that's the thing. That, so, so I went to PG&E and I tried to get them to pay me. Now, I'm selling my grapes at that point to Ferrari Carano and uh, Richard Arrowwood for okay. 2300 bucks a ton, right. which at the time was good money. And, um, and they won't pay me that money. They say, this is only worth 400 bucks a ton. We'll give you 400 bucks for two years of growth. I found this great lawyer, um, Rod Kerr, and he sued them and, and, and proved, I mean, all these people from Napa came up to be the witnesses for the insurance company. And they all said, this guy has an amazing vineyard. It was 96. I had a 16 year old organic vineyard, 1500 feet above sea level. And Perfect. there weren't many of those around. No, right? not at all. Not then. No. Right. Uh-uh. And was so all- I have a friend. I have a friend. I have a, a very good friend, very famous chef, John George von Gerichten. Yes. John George comes up to the vineyard and he says, well, this is a great <laughs> vineyard. You must make wine. And I said, yeah, I'm a screenwriter. I'm, you know, growing grapes. I like having a vineyard. He told me he would sell my wine in his restaurants if I made wine. So I made 500 cases of wine. <laughs> he had three restaurants. He took 50 cases of wine. I said, you said you'd sell the wine. He said, why'd you make so much? I have three French restaurants in California Cabernet. And I was in, and that's how I got in the wine business. And Elizabeth Pressler, Elizabeth Elizabeth was doing marketing. She helped me kind of get my jumpstart my business by sending me around the country, uh, selling wine. I mean, I was Willie Loman with a wine bag. I didn't know what I was doing. And she said, you got to introduce yourself to the world. And so here I am writing screenplays full time, running around the country to every small, anybody who would talk to me. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And that's how I got in the wine business. And did you, okay, because I was going to ask you about that because you were a grower for years and years and years. Beautiful thing. You're yeah. being a grower is great. Yeah. You know, once the grapes are picked, you can kind of relax a little bit. You Got don't, it. you don't have to get yeah. on a plane. You don't have to call on accounts. Right. And all of a sudden, because right. of your, your buddy, your chef buddy who wouldn't buy all the wine, talked to you, you know, why didn't anybody try to talk you out of it? Cause it's, it's a, it's a tough gig. You know that we all do. Doug, no I way. didn't know it until I started doing it. Oh, oh, oh no. 
Oh, you know, I've, I've, it reminds me of a story. I had a great grower, a neighbor, and a uh, great vineyard. And we bought his grapes, and he, he actually really wanted to start making his own wine. I said, you know, he's serious about it. I said, he says, can you tell me about it? I said, happy to. Let's have a cup of coffee, spend an hour. I'll, right. tell, you, I'll tell you everything I know about the business, but I'm going to warn you. He said, what? I said, when we're done talking, you're probably not going to do this. He said, no, no, it's going to be great. Right. And we talked for an hour and he looked right. at me and said, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I said, I like you. You're a good guy. I'm going to give it to you straight because this is what's ahead of you. And he, he never right. made wine. You, <laughs> right. Do you want to drive from Cleveland to Cincinnati in January through a snowstorm, stopping off at every small town and city in between to try to convince them to take your California Cabernet. And when no. there's, when there's me and six other guys right behind you coming in the door with this right. Cabernet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I did this for nine. I did it for nine years. It was a great education. It really killed me because I'm writing full time. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm running around selling wine in the day and then I come back to a hotel room in Dayton, Ohio, and I'm writing screenplays till two in the morning. Oh, and, um, and, and I'm you, doing, how, this and doing this and doing this. And you have family then too? Were you married? Kids? Yeah. Oh. I had, I had, um, what did I have at that time? I had one, two, I had three kids. I had three kids. I still have three kids, but they're older. And I had a family and they were parked in New York and I was between the screenwriting and the wine selling. I was not home a lot. I was running around. I'd go from, you know, do the mid-Atlantic states and then go to Florida and then go here and then do that. And I'm doing this and I got, I got burned out on it. Yeah. And that's when we transitioned to direct to consumer oh, because good. I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. We need help. I mean, yeah. you've got to, you know, and then you've got to amp up and make more wine to, you know, pay people to help you out. So, so when did you make yeah. the move well, to I, D? So, so you're basically hundred percent direct to consumer. Uh, no, we're no, because I do believe in the market. I right. believe it's free advertising. If your wine is on a list somewhere, mm -hmm. I do believe that. So we're 80% direct. Okay. I'm just talking revenues. We're 80% direct to consumer 20% in the, in the market. Now we used to be the other way around and I was losing a ton of money, but you know this, Yes. yes. you know how this works. Yeah. It took me a while. It took me a while to figure it out. And the thing that saved me, was that I always had a great passion for the land. I was always, to me, this was not a commodity to be sold to anybody. When I hooked up with Elizabeth Pressler, the first thing she said, she said, what do you want to do? Do you want to build this to sell it? Or I said, sell it. This is like my life. This right. land is my life. Right. I, I'm so connected to this property. I'm not selling this. What are you, insane? I just want to make it pay for itself. If I just break even, I'll be so happy. And that took a while. That took quite a while. As you know, listen, it took quite a while. <laughs> yeah, and uh, now, we're in, a, I, good, I now we're in a good place. That's good. So, Except coronavirus is killing us. Yeah, I but. know. It's, it's hurting everybody. So your original planning before the fire, was it all Cabernet, all 40 acres? Well, I, in 1985, I was in Tuscany, and I had my first bottle of Solaya. And I called Phil up and said, we have to plant Sangiovese. I want to make a super Tuscan. <laughs> and so, of course, he tried to talk me out of it. And I insisted. So we planted Sangiovese. And uh, we made a super Tuscan. And, uh, and I was so sorry. I did it because I can't sell it. It's Why would I want to have a California Sangiovese on my table for the same price I can have a great Brunello? Right. Right. 
Uh, right? I've got a similar experience. Dad went to Tuscany in 88. <laughs> fell, fell, right. you, know, you don't know this story. Fell in love with Sangiovese, came back. I, I'm gonna, right. I've, right. Some people have heard this before, so I'm repeating it, but you need to hear it. Walks into the lab, goes to Elias and me, goes, I've got our next wine, guys. It's, it's Sangio, right. Sangiovese. And I said, I swear right. to goodness, I said, Sangio, what? This is 1988. Yeah. And, and he goes, yeah. he goes, Doug, Chianti. I, I looked at Elias and I go, Chianti, straw basket, right? And, and dad, dad looks right. at Elias, right. dad right. looks right. at Elias right. and goes, Jesus Christ, I paid this kid, to, I paid for his education in wine at UC Davis and he doesn't know what Sangiovese is. So anyway, we did it. We made it. We, we did it for 10 years. It was a Cabernet Sangiovese blend. And we were pretty successful, and I'm convinced the reason it was fairly successful was we didn't call it Sangiovese. We called it Firebreak because it was named, right, after, Firebreak. It was, I remember. It was named right. after this vineyard around his house that was a, a vineyard. Here's an example. There was a wildfire in 81, burned this hill around his house. The house didn't burn or tried to, and, um, oh, pardon me, it wasn't planted. We set back fires, saved the house. Next day, my mom realized that vineyards don't burn. So she'd said to my dad, plant this hill and plant it now. He was ecstatic about it. So we planted Cabernet and Sangiovese, and it was a natural firebreak right. for their house. So we called the vineyard firebreak. Right. Called the wine firebreak. Did it for 10 years. Loved it. And um, realized we weren't couldn't you know change the world and switched over to, to uh, Cabernet and Syrah, which does better in our spot than Sangiovese. So we, we threw in the, threw in the towel. Yeah. We got a similar similar yeah. story there. Did the same thing, and now I have some. I have a couple of the bottles of Sangiovese left from '01 that we made, and I have a couple of mags left. Every time I open one, I say, "This is great. This is great wine, and it is great wine." You can't. It's salesproof wine. <laughs> it, well, it's so hard to sell. What I've noticed with because we still have um, some bottles around when we pop them, it's like, "Wow, this tastes it's like a, this tastes it, like an old." San, this tastes like a, a 10 or 15 right. year old Sangiovese from Tuscany. It's like the grape right. kind of finds that the, the, right. the varietals finds its same place with age. It's really interesting to me. Right. But right. yeah, tough to, if you can't right. sell it, you can't make it. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's, he's got to do it. Yeah. So, so when you replanted after the fire, you planted, well, you said where well, you got Cabernet, you got Syrah. What else do you have guys make? I got, I have um, three acres of Syrah. I have um, 40 acres of Cabernet. I have three, eight, two acres of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. I have, um, I have a half acre of Cab Franc. We make this a really good Cab Franc. No green bean flavors, Good. Um, and which you know, and all this stuff sells through the tasting room. I mean, the Cab Franc never sees the light of day. The Syrah sells through the tasting room, and we have I put a small a quarter acre of Viognier in, so we could have the skins to co-ferment with the um, with the Syrah. The Syrah, okay, there you go, yeah. and. Yeah, and and uh, and then we bottled the uh, Viena juice, one barrel of it, twenty three cases. Same people buy it every year. Yeah. It comes in, it goes out, and that's it. But the the workhorse is the cab, and yeah. it's a hundred percent cab. Uh, we have oh, I don't know, seven or eight different clones out there by now. You know, different mixture of rootstocks depending on where we plant it. Very rocky soils, very poor soils. It's all. Uh, 
Um, and what? Nothing. You know, I've had a vineyard for 40 years. Here I am. Nice. <laughs> nice. And you're still, are you, are you still writing full time also, or you've slowed down a little on that? I've never been busier. It's insane. That's it's great. completely crazy. Um, I did a film that I had out last year called Angel Has Fallen. Okay. Um, it was the third part of the Has Fallen series. I'm now doing the fourth installment of that and two other films, two other scripts I'm writing, and I'm pitching a TV series on the Mississippi Delta in two weeks to a wow. bunch of streamers. So you're, I'm like, I'm cranking You're all cranking. Over Did I see something about a yeah. ju- judgment, judgment of Paris movie? Was that, were you oh, involved in God. that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm not going to talk badly about people <laughs> who, um, who live in the Napa Valley and have vineyards uh, that they've subsequently sold who uh, made their name in that, tasting but let's say uh say no more <laughs> certain, yeah certain people made it impossible to make the movie oh that's too bad that's too bad because that would that'd be good yeah. for that'd be good for our business you know all of us i it would have been it would have been great yeah i i wrote the movie and then the sad part is that uh i wrote it about the wrong guy i should have written it about mike gergich who was dying to, he, he said he would pay me to rewrite the script Interesting. To tell his story, and and he has a great story. I mean, the way he came here, is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, his. Uh, but I kind of lost after I went through this insane dance with the unnamed person. I I lost interest, and I, uh, and it just went away. Understood. You know, you know life's too short. Life's too short to you fight, know. Doug. No, it is. I'm I'm with you on that one. Let's all work together and you know be normal, and if not, forget about it. We're moving down the road. And, uh, but yeah. ca- Karate Kid into a musical? Is that what I heard? Oh, I'm oh doing, yeah. Where do you hear that? Oh, I've, I've got a research team here. I've got 15 people. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, we were on the fast track. Uh, we were supposed to, we were supposed to be in casting by August mm-hmm. and, um, in previews by February at the, um, La Jolla Playhouse and then figure out how to get a theater on Broadway. Right. But Broadway is now shut. Yeah. The whole, the whole business is shut down. And so it's kind of on hold. It's going to happen. Uh, it just, it's probably going to take a year to get it done. That would have been on the super fast track, but now it's, it's simmering, but it's good. We have everything. We have the, we have a great director. We have a great book. We have great songs. We, you know, everything is great, 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 except, uh, Broadway sucks. Right yeah, now. it's well, all shut. It's a, it's yeah, horrible. we're just all everything's on hold. I mean, I'm I'm optimistic that uh, it'll we'll uh, get back. Too. We'll get back, but it's it's just going to be a while. So we're going to hang in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. You know, people they're showing up a little. I don't know what it's like over there, but here people are showing up a little bit at a time. People are starting to travel. I'm a little nervous about contracting the virus. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I I was in New York working on the musical in January, the end of January. I left a week later, the five people I was with, our choreographers, our lyricists, our production designer, everybody came down with it really sick. Nobody died. Nobody died. Yeah. And I dodged the bullet and I got scared, honestly. So I just said, well, I have the perfect place to not go anywhere. So I'm here. I haven't, I haven't left. Yeah. We're going to a restaurant for the first time in four months um, on Thursday with Frank Dotzler from Outpost and Mending Wall. Right. And we're going to eat outside. And uh, I'm still nervous. Yeah. I'm still yeah. anxious. We're a little we've, anxious. 
we've dipped our toe in a little bit, but we're, uh, it's, it's, uh, we're yeah. being real careful. Yeah. Uh, tell me about yeah. who's sorry. Did you ever actually make the wine or do you always have a winemaker or who's making the wines now? Who me? No, no. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I like to say I'm a head cheerleader and check writer. Mark Harold <laughs> has made my wines since 2002. Okay. And, uh, and he subsequently, he also married my director of marketing and sales, who's now my general manager, Gianna Farina. Okay. And who turned this whole thing around to make it a profitable operation. He married her or she married him, I should say, because her nick, our nickname for her is the Generalissimo. Okay. Um, she, she's very organized. Um, Mark makes the wine, Phil grows the grapes. You know, I just sit here and just watch everything go around. You know, I have an opinion. People listen, talk me out of things. You know, I'm a great believer. And if you find real talent, you go with the real talent. Yeah. Take care of them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you've probably been asked this a million times, you know, screenwriting, winemaking, similarities, differences, are there parallels? Is it's it's just kind super, of like super super similar because huh. not so much screenwriting, but winemaking and movie making are collaborative experiences, and you start with a blueprint. You start with in movie making. You start with the screenplay. Right in wine in winemaking or wine growing. You start with your basic well, dirt. You start with your land, mm-hmm. you build up the land, you get your raw materials with the screenplay. You finish your screenplay. You find uh, actors, directors, production designers with making wine. You find a winemaker, you find somebody to sell it. You find somebody to um, do your agriculture correctly. And so it's a collaborative experience. It's not dissimilar. Um, Hmm. except the one variable is the weather in, in movie making. It's crazy egos in uh, wine growing. It's the weather. You can't control egos and you can't control the weather. So, <laughs> so they're really, they're really quite, they're quite, uh, quite similar. And I love, uh, we only make wine off our state. Yeah. I don't have, I don't own vineyards in other places. I don't have a huge wine business. It's, um, Basically, we make 3,500 cases a year, 4,000 yeah. in a really good year. Great size. And um, yeah, it's perfect and perfect for what we do. And I found that perfect niche market. We opened a tasting room in town on the square. We have people who come up and visit the vineyard and hang around on a, a sky deck that we built. And, and I have no uh, desire to expand. For right. me, it, Doug, it's almost a religious thing about this one piece of property. You have the same thing with your vineyard. We do. Your dad right. came. Yeah. You know, what did he know about farming? No, nothing. Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but he felt, this, he felt this affinity to this piece of property that happened to be a great place to grow Cabernet. Yeah. And who, and who knew? Nobody knew. No, he didn't know. Nobody it, knew. No one knew. It you had know. it had hillside you potential. Know. You know now. You know. Yeah, but you know, but Robert. It took me. Know. It took me. It took me probably ten, twelve years of making the Cabernet off this ranch to finally realize how right. special my place is. Right. I mean, it, it, right. And it was happening right. in the middle of the night during one harvest when, when a red fermenter just went from just being kind of wine, or just kind of being juice slash wine magic. to like, Oh my God, this is so good. Magic. And yeah. It's magical. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I've yeah, tried to describe all, it to know, people and you can't do it. It's just something happens. No, because wine is mystery. 
Mm-hmm. Wine is magic and mystery no matter what we do. These people, you can fuck around with it. You can, am I not supposed to say that on a podcast? Oh, you can do anything you want. Um, <laughs> oh, good. You yeah. can fuck around with it. You can. I always say, you know, wine is grown. It's not made. You can do whatever you want. And you can make. You can make bad wine out of good grapes. You can't make good wine out of bad grapes. You cannot do it. Nope. You can't do it. And that's all there is to it. And I am. I. I stumbled on a piece of property like your father did. You're right. I stumbled on a piece of property that happens to facilitate the growing of great Cabernet or great grapes. If you pay attention to the farming, if you pay attention to it, it produces something that becomes magical. And like you said, this fermenter, like, what did you do? I don't know. What did I do? Can I do that again? It just happened. It just happened. It's a mystery. It's a crazy mystery. Well, it's, it's, it's it's the magic. And, um, yeah, you know, it's that one slice of magic that kind of makes all the other stuff worth it. You know, all that other day-to-day, day-to-day, whatever it is, you know, all the stuff we all do. When you, yeah, when you when you, you open that bottle or when you pull, pull the, the lid off the fermenter or when you're, when you're, you know, doing racking and all of a sudden this aroma comes out where, how did that happen? It, it's, for some people, yeah, listen, the Bible doesn't talk about bourbon or beer. It talks about water and wine, <laughs> period. And there's a reason. <laughs> hey, I have <laughs> to know? say amen to that. Um, no, it's true. And, you know, <laughs> I, it's funny, funny cause, uh, I've got one, I've got a kid home, you know, bless his heart from, you know, middle of college and he's stuck at home, but, uh, you know, but you know, I'm trying to do anything we can just to, you know, mix it up a little bit. So, you know, dad, dad, what are we drinking tonight? I said, you know, go pick out a bottle and, you know, and just go for it. Right. And he goes, what's this? I don't even know. I said, I, I look at, it, I said, yeah, I don't know what that is either. I, you know, someone probably gave it to me. I have no idea. It's from Italy or France or, right. you know, Napa or Sonoma, who knows? And, and we, so I don't even know the label. It's, it's cab, it's Syrah, whatever, you know, and we pull the cork and we pour a glass and we're getting dinner ready. And, all of a sudden one of us will, this has happened a couple of times or we both kind of stop at the same time. And he looks at me, I look at him, I go, cause we just smelled it. I go, wow. He goes, wow. And then we taste and go, and right. there's just like this, this just two or three seconds of him and I looking at each other going, Hey, this is really cool. Like, what is this? And it's, it's, it, it's just a moment. And then we're on often talking about this or that or watching TV or whatever, but those are those moments. I like yep. it. Um, how can people well, find so. your, find your wines? How can they order them? How can they visit your place? Give me some, give me some info for everyone to know. Um, you can go online, caymanwines.com. Okay. Okay. Uh, you can come to our tasting room. Which in is in Sonoma. It's in Sonoma, town of Sonoma. It's open right now. Right on the town. Ta- yeah. Right on the town, town square. You have to make appointments. It used to be just walk on in. Right. 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 It used yeah. to be walk on in, but um, because of this, it's you have to make an appointment, and we have a whole protocol, and you know masks and why you know, yeah. using Santa. You know this. Yeah. You know it's it's a whole thing. We're just trying to be super careful, and we're small. You know we don't have it's not a fancy thing. It's kind of like all about the wine, and uh, I got a bunch of quotes from my movies hanging up on the wall, and if you guess all five, you get a free tasting. But nobody <laughs> will ever guess the fifth one because I ain't stupid. I put one in, nobody would ever guess. <laughs> Um, well, I'll talk to but, my son. Uh, he'll, he'll help me out on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's how you find the wine. It's, and we're not in a ton of places. I, 
I've tried to pull back because I don't make that much wine so I can sell as much as I produce. We try to pull back from having to shill it all over the place and that's worked pretty good for us. Well, the, the wines are delicious and I encourage people to go online and go online and and get some of them. And I'm going to come, uh, taste in person with, with Steven when I get him up here next time. So I'll let you you know, please come over. We'll, you know, we'll give you the cook's tour. It'll be, take you to see some of the more interesting sites of the vineyard and, and we'll sit and we'll drink, drink wines. Or if you don't want to drink my wine, we can go to my cellar and I have a whole bunch of really cool old Barolos, Riojas, Barbarescos, all sorts of stuff that's interesting. Now I want to drink your wine. <laughs> okay, good. All right, man. So, <laughs> okay. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We're all busy. And, uh, Doug, this was great. great I appreciate it very much you thinking of me. I really, uh, really do appreciate it. And if I don't catch you buying my wine, I catch you buying a movie ticket. All right, my friend. One way or another, one way or another you're supporting the bottom line. There you go. Best of luck to you. Okay. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Take thanks care. Thanks so much. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. It's really great to talk with someone who speaks so eloquently and so much from the heart about his land and his wines. Robert Kamen is doing something truly special, and I hope you'll check out what he and his team are doing with Kamen Estate Wines. If you enjoy what you hear on The Taste and want to support the program, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes. That helps other people find the podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a question or any ideas, please send an email to podcast at schafervineyards.com. We'll see you next time.